0: Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. Amen. Last few weeks, uh, really since the beginning of the year, we've been talking about the reality that you were made to look exactly like Jesus. What a revelation that you and I are made to look exactly like Jesus. Scripture says that God is pure light, that there is no trace of darkness in him at all. And as we approach that pure light, it dispels the darkness on the inside of us. Sin is eradicated in us, not by discipline, which can only take you so far. How many of you can attest to that in your own life. That that discipline, being disciplined, like uh, to to not falter, to, to do things right, living a disciplined life works for a while, but it doesn't, it, the thing that discipline can't do is it can't uproot that root of darkness on the inside of you. So you may be able to not uh, not uh, walk in that darkness, but there's, there's still just that root on the inside of you. There's only one thing that can uproot the darkness on the inside of you, and that is to come into the presence of he who is pure light. And as you walk into the presence of he that is pure light, it, it exposes that sin not to embarrass you, not to condemn you, but to dispel the darkness that is in you. Amen? Amen. But walking in pure light is not just about removing sin. I, I, I'm afraid that, that a lot of our Christian life is focused on not sinning. And when you have a focus on not sinning, it's, it's, what it's, it's called you have a sin consciousness. And how many of you know when you focus on something... That is what tends to come out. For instance, if I tell you all not to think of an elephant, what just popped in your head right now? Because by nature, humans, humans automatically, their, their mind, they can't help but think of those things. And so even if you're going, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin, guess where your mind is focused? It's a sin consciousness. But as we approach pure light, pure light is not just about removing the sin, although it does do that. Pure light is also about illuminating what is on the inside of you, what is supposed to be on the inside of you. Or you could say it like this, the pure light is also about illuminating who you are. And who are you? You're the sons and daughters of God himself. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are holy as he is holy. The Bible tells us that we are born of God. The word born is uh, the word genea, which is, literally means the genes, the DNA, that the DNA of God is on the inside of you. The Bible even goes as far as to say this, that the divine, that we are partakers of the divine nature, that that is who you are. So pure light is not just about exposing and eradicating sin, that is part of it, but that is just the beginning. Eradicating sin is literally the beginning that is supposed to move on to where now, the Bible says, like, or Jesus says it like this, he says, I am the light of the world. And then he turns around and he says this, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Not only am I the light of the world, but you are meant to so look like me that you become the light of the world. To, to, you become the light to the world around you. That we were made to look like Jesus, amen? Hallelujah. Church, that, I could stop right there and never preach another message ever again, and that would be enough. You were made to look like Jesus. Some of you think that's a good idea, don't you? Well, hey, that's, that's good. All right. How does this happen? How do we begin to look like Jesus? It says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, When he, being Jesus, when he is made visible, we shall be just like him. When he is made visible, we shall be just like him, beholding, church, is becoming, when he is made visible, I told you the Greek word last week and I kind of forget what it's like, I know it has a rolling R in it, for I think, when he is made visible, when he is seen, you shall be just like him. Second Corinthians 318 says it like this, we can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces, and with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. And then here it is. When we are being transfigured, literally metamorphosized, metamorpho is the word there. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. This is the Bible, my friends. This is who the Bible says you are. This is who Jesus says you are, that as we behold Jesus, as he becomes the object of our affection, as he becomes the one, as David says, one thing have I desired of the Lord. When he becomes the one thing that we chase after, there's a transformation that literally takes place on the inside of us. And who we were made to be, the God DNA on the inside of us comes to life. And we begin looking exactly like Jesus. Hallelujah. So by beholding him, we become like him. In our drawing near and beholding, we become just like him. However, many of us fail to draw near because we lack the most fundamental revelation of our faith and that is that we are the object of his affection his beloved many of us draw fail to draw near that we we are called to draw close to him and many of us fail to draw close to him because we lack this fundamental truth from scripture that we are the object of his affection his beloved and when this truth this reality, this revelation has not been firmly rooted in us, then we don't draw near because we are still unsure of which dad we will come face to face with. Will we see the one of love or will we see the father of wrath? So if beholding is becoming, if the way We are transfigured into his image is by drawing near, but we are in fear to draw near because we don't have the fundamental revelation that I am my beloved's and he is mine. I remember once when I was a kid, like uh, unlike most of you, I grew up in a neighborhood. I had neighbors on either side of me and uh, lived in a neighborhood, so it was safe to play on the street where I was. There was not much traffic going through i didn 't grow up on a farm. The closest thing we had to a farm animal was our little wiener dog that we took care of when we when we ate corn on the cob, it was from Meyer. Thank God we have been saved, and we <laughs> now will never ever ever eat that corn again. But I grew up in a neighborhood, and so we often when I, I was a kid i would uh, we had, a, I had a neighbor's kids who lived across the street that we'd play together all the time and and we would ride our bikes up and down our street. Our, my neighbor friend was, was about a year or two older than me, and so he was allowed to ride his bike around the block, right. but I was only allowed to ride my bike on the street right in front of our house. Well, one day he convinced me that it'd be cool to just take a lap or two around the block. right. And so I, I, I uh, relented, and the first trip around the block, no problem at all. It was a lot of fun. We raced. It was great. Second trip around the block, no problem at all. Third trip around the block, I saw a very familiar minivan coming towards me. And so I had this brilliant idea. I was going to hide behind my bike. So I pull off to the sidewalk. I get off my bike, and I'm crouched down like this behind my bike. No one can see me, right? (laughs) Completely blending in, right? I was a ninja. Somehow, I don't know how, somehow my dad recognized me, right? He saw me. And uh, the rest of the story is a little bit blurry. I don't really remember (laughs) (laughs) what happened after that. But the point is this. Because I didn't understand my father's love for me, it caused me to hide. It caused me to recoil instead of run to him. Because when you don't realize that you are the object of his perfection, or of his, you're the object of his affection, then you don't realize that even the discipline of the Lord is perfect love and perfect light. And you begin to fear the Father because, once again, you don't understand what it means to be his beloved. And when you don't understand what it means to be his beloved, you don't know if you're going to get the God of love or the God of wrath. And and you begin to fear even his discipline. 1 John tells us this. 1 John chapter 3 verse 20 It says for if our hearts condemn us God is greater than our heart and knows all things Beloved if our heart does not condemn us we have confidence towards God and whatever we ask we receive from him because he because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Look at the language here in verse 20. For if our hearts condemn us, who does the condemning? Our hearts. If our hearts condemn us, the condemnation comes from us, not him. It comes from our hearts. Remember the story of the prodigal son, the, the parable of the prodigal son Jesus tells, where the son takes his father's inheritance and he goes off and the Bible says lives prodigally, lives wildly. He ends up wasting all the inheritance. He ends up in the pig's pen. And it says he comes to the realization that that it'd be better for him to be a slave in his father's house than to remain in the pig's pen eating what the pigs eat. And when he goes home, he repeats a statement that is incredibly important. He begins mauling over in his mind what he's going to tell his father. And this is what he says. He says, Father, I have sinned in your sight. I am not worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So in his mind, in the prodigal son's mind, because of his failure, he is no longer worthy to be called a son, but he has instead the mentality that I can at least be a slave. I can't be a son, but maybe I can be a slave. When he gets back to his father's property and he steps on his father's property and begins making his way to his father's house, you all know the story. The father is waiting on the porch, sees the son, comes running to the son and embraces him and the son begins reciting his made up speech. Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I have sinned in your sight. Make me like one of your, and before he can even finish the statement, what does the father do? He interrupts him and he says, bring the ring and the robe, kill the fatted calf. My son who was once dead is now made alive and we're going to celebrate. Who did the condemning in this story? Did the father one time ever tell the son, listen, you're going to have to start right back down here. And maybe one day, if you're good enough, you can be elevated to sonship again. No, no, no. It was never in the father's mind to make him a slave. He was always a son. It was in the son's mind that he was going to be a slave. It was the prodigal's heart that condemned him. His own heart condemned him, not the father. In the story of Adam and Eve, when Adam and Eve fall, when they invite sin into the world, the Bible says that they hid in the trees when they heard the father come into the garden. Who did the hiding? The father still showed up ready for their afternoon walk knowing full well that they had sinned. It was Adam and Eve who recoiled, who hid in the bushes, who were ashamed and afraid because they didn't understand that they were beloved. for if our hearts condemn us. And then it goes on and it says, God is greater than our hearts. And listen to this, and knows all things. He knows all things. He knows your failure. He knows your mishaps. Your shortcomings. He knows you more intimately than anyone in this world. And it says, when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. His mercy and love are greater than our cardia. The word heart there is the Greek word cardia, it means inner self. Passions, feelings, and thoughts. That when we bring condemnation on ourselves, when we allow the shame and the guilt to call us, cause us to recoil and hide behind our back, our bikes, to hide in the in the in the behind the bushes and the trees, when it causes us to walk home after a failure with our head low in shame and thinking we could only be a slave in the kingdom of God. It says that the Father is greater than our hearts and he knows everything that you did. Hallelujah. We see this even in the life of Peter. Jesus knew everything about Peter. Yet on the shore, sitting around the fire next to Peter, Jesus still saw the capacity for agape in Peter, even when Peter's heart was condemning itself. I love this statement. You are not how you feel. Let me say that one more time. You are not how you feel. Francis of Assisi, which was a um, was a saint who lived back in the early 1200s, he says this: He says, "I am what I am in God's sight, and nothing else." What does he say about you? That is who you are. Not our own hearts, not how we feel. When our hearts condemn us, He is greater than our hearts. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, I cannot afford to have a thought in my head about myself that God does not have in his. If it's not in his mind, it shouldn't be in ours. Verse 21, look at that first word, beloved. Beloved, I think it's one of the most important words in the Bible. And often we just brush right over it. But don't, don't brush over that this morning. Look at that word. Hear the Father call you beloved. Beloved is the word agapetas. It means the object of one's affection. One who is love, the favorite one. That's who you are to him. He says, beloved, if our hearts if our heart does cannot I'm sorry if our heart does not condemn us look what happens we have confidence towards God so if our heart doesn't condemn us if we don't allow the voices of condemnation from our, from our inner self to condemn us, then the Bible says, then we have confidence before God. I love how the Passion phrases this, this, uh, this verse. It says, we have bold freedom to speak face-to-face with God. That word towards there is the word pros, and at its root meaning, that word means face-to-face. When our hearts don't condemn us, we have bold freedom to speak face-to-face with God. When we hush the condemning voices in our heads, we can approach the throne of grace boldly and without hesitation. It says that here in Hebrews chapter 10, let's just take a second and read it. Hebrews chapter 10, it says, and now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. And he welcomes us to come into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm, boldly, and without hesitation. For he has dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. For just as the veil was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. And since we now have a magnificent high priest to welcome us into God's house, we come closer to God and approach him with an open heart. Listen to this. Fully convinced that nothing will keep us at a distance from him. Fully convinced that nothing will keep us at a distance from him. What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or hardship, shall angels or demons? No, none of these things can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We come closer to God and approach him with open hearts, fully convinced that nothing will keep us at a distance from him. Listen, for our hearts have been sprinkled with the blood to remove impurity. And we have been freed, listen, from an accusing conscience. You have been freed From an accusing conscience, what this is referring to—that when our hearts condemn us, we have been freed from the accusing conscience because of the blood of Jesus. Amen. We have been freed from an accusing conscience. Now we are clean, unstained, and presentable to God, inside and out. What happens when we are convinced? that we are the object of his affection? What happens when we are convinced that his blood was powerful enough to wash away every one of our sins and our stains? What happens when we realize that the love of God was powerful enough to wash away all shame and guilt? Then when that happens, we can step into his presence without any fear of punishment, without any hesitation, Boldly stepping into his presence. Confidently stepping into his presence. Amen? Verse 22 says, And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments. And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Some might hear this message. Some might hear this message and feel like it sounds a lot like greasy grace. Like we're just letting people off the hook of their sins and their failures. The first thing I'd like to say is, I'm just reading the Bible. The second thing I'd like to say is this. Look at this verse. When we have this confidence, when our hearts don't condemn us, when we have the ability to approach him confidently, it says we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing to him. The greatest deterrent for sin is the revelation that you are beloved. the greatest deterrent for sin is the revelation that you are beloved. And like I said, this may sound dangerous to some because we have come to believe that the only way bad behavior gets corrected is by punishment. You can see this even in the way people evangelize. It seems like the only way people know how to evangelize is to make people afraid of hell. I'm not going to say where this came from, but I remember as a kid, as a teenager, we watched this video in our church on how to evangelize. And what it was, was this, 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 these couple of guys would go into a crowd, a crowded place, like New York, um, Times Square or something like that. And they would talk to these people that just look like the the worst people you could possibly find, right? And this is what they would do. They would go, let me ask you something. Have you ever lied? And they go, well, yeah. Well, the Bible says you're a liar. Have you ever stole anything, even something little, something like a, a, um, a, a sucker from the store or something like that? Well, yeah, when I was a kid, you know, I, I grabbed something. Well, then the Bible says you're a thief. Have you ever, have you ever uh, looked at a woman lustfully? Well, yeah, I've, I've done that. Well, the Bible says that you, that, that you might as well have been committing adultery, so you're an adulterer. Have you ever hated somebody? Have you ever been mad or hated somebody? Well, the Bible says that if you have hate in your heart, then you're a murderer. So by your own admission, you're a, a liar, a thief, an adulterer, and a murderer. And by those standards, the Bible says you are on your way to hell. This is the evangelism method. And I will admit, at first, it's shocking. At first, it it may work. Because that may induce a response of oh man, I, I don't want to go to hell, right? I don't want to, I don't want to do that. So what, what do I got to do? I just got to pray a prayer. Okay, let's let's pray. Uh in Jesus' name, I must say, I'm saved, right? At first it may work, fear usually works for a short time, but let me tell you something, it does not work long term. It does not work long term. Have you ever seen a situation or a family where the parents parent by fear? Maybe it's through abuse, or maybe it's through some other, some other way, they, they, they parent their kids by fear. What ends up happening usually to those kids? When they get older, they do one of two things. They either rebel, Or they live their entire life afraid of failure, anticipating their own failure. Why? Because that's what fear produces. Fear produces either rebellion or it produces the fear of never being able to measure up. And at some point in time, we have to believe that the love of God is more powerful than the fear of hell. We have to be able to believe that the power of the love of God is more powerful than the fear of hell. Amen? Hallelujah. I love this from Pastor Ron. He sent this in a text message to me a few weeks ago. Fear produces failure. Fear produces failure. The fear of punishment undermines love every time. And if you need a little more convincing, 1 John chapter four, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect, not through discipline, Not through through punishment, but it says, he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We have to be careful that we don't have more faith in the power of hell to change people than in the power of the love of God. John is so confident in the power of the love of God that he says this, whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. What is he saying here by implication? He's saying that if you have, if you are still walking in sin, that I am convinced that you have not seen he who is pure light. Because if you've seen he who is pure light, you wouldn't want to walk in sin anymore. You wouldn't, we said this a few weeks ago, sin becomes awkward because you realize it's not who you are. That you actually have to act out of your nature when you've become like him john is so confident he says whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him why is john so confident because he spent three and a half years watching it happen right in front of his eyes he saw matthew his fellow disciple who was a tax collector who was a traitor to his own people, the Jews. He watched Jesus walk by his tax booth and when Jesus tells Matthew to come follow me, he sees the heart of Matthew transform right before his eyes as he lays down his wealth and follows Jesus. He saw it in Zacchaeus who was also a tax collector and was also a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And he saw Jesus call Zacchaeus down from the tree. This man who was wealthy, not, not because he was a good businessman, but because he was corrupt. And he saw this man named Zacchaeus come down from the tree in one encounter with Jesus, the love of God. Zacchaeus goes and he says, I'm gonna repay what I've stolen from every person I've stolen from. I'm gonna give it all back. Through the love of God, John watched Zacchaeus' heart change right before his eyes. He saw it in the demoniac in the land of the Gerasene that nobody could, nobody could hold down. No chain could, If they put chains on him, he would break them. He would cut himself and he lived in a graveyard in one encounter with Jesus says that the man is in his right mind. And not only that, Jesus commissions him to go and spread the gospel to his, to his country. He saw it in the woman with the issue of blood as she broke all the rules just to touch the hem of his garment. He saw it in the prostitute whom the Pharisees brought before Jesus to test him. And as Jesus stoops down in the dirt to catch the woman's eyes, And then after all of the Pharisees leave, after Jesus puts them in their place, he asks the woman, who condemns you? He says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. John saw the love of God change that woman. He saw it in Peter who had failed miserably. He even saw it in Judas. As Jesus dipped the bread that represented his body into the cup of wine that represented his blood and offered it to Judas, knowing full well what was in Judas's heart. For three and a half years, John watched the love of God transform every person he encountered. And then for approximately another 52 years, after the cross and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, he watched the love of God change more hearts over and over again. People like Saul of Tarsus, who was the greatest, the most religious person who persecuted the Jews or persecuted those who believed in Jesus and watched how Saul becomes Paul and becomes one of the greatest disciples who ever lived, and it was the love of God that transformed him. John watched all of this from the moment he met Jesus until he wrote this book, 1 John, how the love of God transformed their lives. I think it's safe to say, church, that if the fear of hell was what changed people, then the book of 1 John would read quite differently. If John witnessed the fear of hell changing people, he wouldn't write things like, God is love. He is pure light, there is no trace of darkness in him. That if you've seen him, when he is revealed, you'll be just like him." He would write things like, "When our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And when our heart doesn't condemn us, then we have confidence to walk before him. John realized that it was the love of God, not the fear of hell, that changed people. And so that's what he preached. Over and over and over again. Verse 17 of chapter 4 says this. Love has been perfected. Other translations say love has come to completion. Or it has reached its full expression. Love has been perfected among us in this. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. The full expression of God's love in us is that when we stand before him on the day of judgment, we will do so without fear of punishment. Because we will not be standing there as sons of Adam with our list of regrets and failures. But we will be standing there as sons of God who have been so washed by the love of God that we have been transfigured into his very image and likeness. As he is, so are we. When? In this world. His righteousness is our righteousness. His mind is our mind. We are co-glorified with him and we are seated with him in heavenly places and we are partakers of the divine nature. And we have no reason to fear. We have no reason to fear. We have every right to come boldly before him. Even when we are in the middle of failure. We can become boldly before him. Because we are confident that we are the object of his affection. And even his discipline. In fact, Hebrews Hebrews chapter 12. It says this. It says, it says he only disciplines those whom he loves. That discipline, it says this in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that discipline is actually an indicator that you are a son and daughter of God. So we can approach him, and even when there's discipline, we don't have to be afraid because we know that the discipline comes from him who is perfect love. So we have the ability to approach him boldly and confidently. I wanna close with this last thought here. That word judgment in this this, uh, scripture is the Greek word that is spelled K-R-I-S-I-S, crisis. And yes, it is where we get our English word for crisis. Let me read that scripture with that understanding. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of crisis, because as he is, so are we in this world. So what does that look like on a practical level? That we can have boldness on the day we get the cancer diagnosis. We can have boldness on the day that our son or our daughter rebels and is doing things they're not supposed to. We can have boldness and come before him boldly on the day that we face uh, losing our jobs or maybe having marital issues or, or, or whatever it may be. We can approach him boldly in the day of crisis because when we approach him, we know that we are not approaching a God full of wrath towards us, but we are approaching a God who calls us beloved. And as he is, so are we in this world. Let's go ahead and stand together. I want to take just a minute this morning. And I don't want to allow just some space for the Holy Spirit to come in and reassure our hearts that we are His beloved. Maybe you've come in this morning and your own heart has been condemning you. And maybe you've felt like a little bit like the prodigal son, where you come in not with a mentality of sonship, but at a mentality of slavery. And I may be able to live in his house, but I'll live there as a slave. I want you to hear the father tell you this morning that you are his beloved. I want you to hear as the father tells you this morning, as as he looks back and he says, go get the ring. The ring that represents the authority of the father and the robe that represents the family lineage of the father and the sandals. The sandals are significant because slaves would rarely wear shoes. And so, having the sandals placed on the son's feet was a declaration that he was not going to be a slave. I want you to hear how the Father celebrates over you. Father, I pray this morning. If there's any hesitation on the inside of us to approach you, that pure light would come in and light up that place of darkness. Father, that we may come before you boldly and confidently with zero hesitation. So that we know that when we approach your throne, we'll see in you, we'll see in your eyes grace and mercy and love. And Father, this morning, we have faith enough to believe that your love is enough to change us. That your love is powerful enough to transform us from the inside out. That sin is eradicated from within us by being exposed to your love and grace and mercy. I want to encourage you this morning with something very, very practical that I want you to begin implementing into your devotional and prayer life. When you sit down to pray, or maybe if you're at work and you have a few minutes, or, or at night before you go to bed, or whenever, we call them, we call them little vacations with God, right? Just a few moments. It don't have to be three hours long. It don't have to be this big ordeal. Just a few moments. What I want to encourage you to do is this. I want to encourage you to sit back, to close your eyes. And focus. Allow allow yourself to feel the love of God. Something that I like to do is I like to just have maybe one word that I feel like the Lord is highlighting. Sometimes, Oftentimes, it's just the word Abba, which is, which is the word for dad or father in, in Hebrew. It's what Jesus called his father. It was Abba. Sometimes it's rabbi. I like to call him rabbi. Sometimes it's, it's just realize it's even the word beloved. Maybe it's just the word beloved. I want you to take just one single word. Focus on the love of God. Focus on the reality that he is in me and I am in him. Just take a few moments and sit in that. And in your own own mind, you don't even have to say the words out loud. Just say Abba, say beloved, say whatever over and over as you allow the love of God, the reality of who you are in him to fill you up. Sometimes it takes intentionality to be able to walk in knowing who we are. Sometimes it takes intentionality to to reassure our own hearts again when our heart is trying to condemn us. It takes intentionality of just, no, 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 I'm going to sit down for a minute and refocus with the Lord. And it's as simple as just saying one word. It's as simple as just even sitting there quietly And allowing his love to pour over you. The revelation I hope that we walk away with here today. Is that you are beloved. The object of his affection. And when that becomes our core and our foundation. We have the confidence to walk just as he walked. Jesus, we honor you today. God, we thank you that your love is more powerful than our own condemnation. Lord, I pray you'd help us all to walk in that love, that we would walk in that love every day of our lives, Lord, that we would become more and more and more aware of your love for us, Jesus. And as we become more aware of your love for us, it transforms us into your very image and likeness. Lord, we give you all the glory and praise this morning. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org.